0: This is episode 02 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, November 9th, 2010. Hi, this is Karen Sandler,
1: and I'm Bradley Kuhn.
0: This is Free as in Freedom from sunny brooklyn
1: episode zero two
0: but we say that already in the little recorded thing i said it. we've already recorded we it we did not say it. we used you to it. record that segment at the end when we were finished
1: now we're doing it in chronological order yep they never do that in real life what do you mean they always film things out of order right record things out of order
0: but not us today
1: well we don't know yet actually that's done. true
0: we've already recorded the end
1: Oh, see, we did it. We're, we did. We're a professional facility here <laughs> doing things in the manner in which professionals do, which is out of order.
0: This is not a very professional
1: setup. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, I suppose. People said that it sounded okay. I actually yeah. got private feedback from somebody who said that it sounded, they thought it sounded better than the old one, which was weird.
0: Oh, well, it's not so weird, actually, because there were, we had very little control over the environment. Um, Last time, because remember there was all the, we had HVAC stuff going constantly. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well,
1: so. we sometimes would turn that off. But here we can turn it off. Yeah. So we have some current topics. There's a lot of current topics, so we might not even get to them all in the show. It's true. So, but, so we should get started. And probably... I. Well, I th- should we talk about our,
0: our prior guest first?
1: I suppose um, somebody gave us some feedback and said that we too often go into meta discussion too quickly and don't say what we were going to say.
0: Yeah. And actually, it was really good criticism. It was basically about our discussion about the licensing of the show. And um, and the person who wrote in said that we never actually said what license we switched to.
1: So actually, why don't we clarify that now? The entire show is Creative Commons, Attribution, Sharealike, 3.0, Unported.
0: (laughs) Very good. (laughs) <laughs> well, because it's
1: CC by SA 3.0 unported, but right. the, I forget how the the by and the SA don't expand. I well, by expands. Just
0: saturation. saying, CC by SA is is good enough for casual conversation. That's also,
1: yes. That's correct. Do the CC people encourage or later? I just realized that I've never seen that encouraged. Like, for example, the FF encourages or later for yeah. GPL.
0: I've not seen that either. Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Actually, I guess is compatibility less of an issue with non. Uh, software works? I, e. did, I guess there's is there a lot of cutting and pasting between different cultural works like music and I guess there I, is. Some ideally, extent. yes. Yeah, right. So if so something were CC by SA 2.0 and you want to remix it with something that's three oh. Are they yeah, I have
0: no idea. I haven't looked into this. This is a really good question. I
1: just came up with this question and we didn't research it at all. This no. is not, wasn't prepared. So we're going <laughs> to have to hold that for a future show. We will do some research. Now we have a topic for one topic, at least for next show. And we have enough topics here today f- that we were planning on that we probably want to get to them all. So we'll hold Actually, that for next show. The
0: listener who wrote in and said that we hadn't said the license, uh, you know, I just agreed with that point, but we, did include the license at the end of the show.
1: That's correct. But so we
0: did say within the show itself what we moved to, but I agree. That it was good criticism that we – His do. point was
1: we jump too quickly to talking about what we're going to talk about in this, and not <laughs> actually say the topic first and say, this is the topic and here's what we have to say about it. So we have to do that right. So here's our next topic. Our next topic is Stormy Peters announced that she is leaving employment at the Gnome Foundation.
0: And she's been the executive director at Gnome.
1: See, I almost did it again. I failed to mention the whole context. So, yes, Stormy has been executive director of the Gnome Foundation for, I believe, three years?
0: And from everything I've seen, she's done a really great job.
1: Uh, Well, I've been on the Gnome advisory board uh, representing FSF. uh, And to not jump right into something without explaining it, uh, Gnome has this thing called an advisory board. And what it is is a collection of for-profit and non-profit organizations that are interested in what's happening in Gnome. And for-profit companies have to pay to sit on this advisory board, and there's a fee structure. You can see Gnome's website for that. And nonprofits are offered seats at no charge. So pretty much any nonprofit that wants to sit on the advisory board requests a seat, and they have generally got it. I've never heard of somebody in a nonprofit being denied a seat on the advisory board. Um, in fact, some seats are sort of unfilled, like Debian has a seat, and they don't actually have a representative right now, which actually they've been talking about that because they want to work more with distributions, and they're hoping to get the seat filled again. Anyway. Off-topic, sorry. <laughs> um, so, I
0: think especially on-topic. So That's I have sat on that advisory board. How, how long have you been on the advisory Like how many?
1: Two thousand. I believe I figured it out once. Um, I, I always forget though. It's, it was either 2001 or 2002. It's a long time. It's probably the beginning of 2002. I'd have to look at my notes to know the exact date because I once had figured this out because I wanted to know. But it's definitely been since early 2002 uh, timeframe.
0: I was at one advisory meeting because I was at Guadag. Right, I happened to be the I have I happened to be a, an SFLC person at Guadec one year.
1: Right, because SFLC has a seat on the advisory board mm-hmm. as well as a nonprofit. So, uh, so I, I've been on the advisory board for a long time. The, the funny thing is, is um, when I started on the advisory board, Stormy was the Hewlett Packard representative on the advisory board.
0: Uh, actually, I'm not sure if SFLC is actually on the advisory board or just attends as lawyers. Actually,
1: I know that SFLC has.
0: Oh, oh, board. okay,
1: that's interesting. I do know that.
0: Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to be wrong as I Yeah, no, I know,
1: I know pretty much everybody who has seats on the advisory board. Oh, SFLC actually okay. actually has a, a literal seat on the advisory board, not merely as a advisor lawyer. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a role SLC has. Cuz we invest.
0: sometimes will attend board meetings of our clients um and mm. advisory board meetings just because it's sometimes convenient to have your lawyers there if there are questions that come up you can ask them, you know. I always say that lawyers should hesitate before should think twice before actually serving on boards, because sometimes it's nice for boards to be able to have conversations without their lawyers present. But that said, if it's useful to have lawyers around, it's great to just invite them there because it's a lot easier.
1: It just basically as an observer you're talking
0: about, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, as an observer, but also as advisor and counsel mm-hmm. so that the board – because sometimes in board meetings, you get to a point in the the discussion where – You know, there are a lot of questions to be asked. And if you don't have access to your legal counsel, then you basically have to end the discussion of the matter and and say, yeah, oh, well, we'll ask, you know, our lawyer and then we'll reconvene when we have the answers to it. But really, there's so much momentum when you're actually talking about something that it's so much more productive to just ask someone and move on.
1: So uh, but actually, with regard to advisory board, uh, it's uh, for Gnome, it's slightly different because the advisory board doesn't have uh uh, politi- well, I guess it has political authority in some sense because if the advisory board was mad about something, there would be political fallout, but doesn't have any legal or organizational power. So the advisory board of Gnome Foundation doesn't have the power to elect its directors and so forth. In fact, the Gnome's directors are elected, uh, I think, every 18 months uh, by the membership of Gnome. And to be a member of Gnome, you have to have made substantial contributions to Gnome. There's various criteria.
0: And that's usually the case, actually. Advisory boards generally don't have any actual corporate authority. Mm -hmm. but they're useful because it gets people who are concerned about the organization together to to talk and make recommendations. And
1: it's also, quite frankly, a useful fundraising strategy for GNOME because it's a way to make sure that they have uh, the corporate donations. Right,
0: because if you're on the advisory board, then you can steer conversation towards certain issues when you participate in it and make sure that
1: you're heard. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Because uh, that has indeed happened in in problematic ways at times. Well, you know, I mean,
0: no matter what how, in what capacity you're being involved with a nonprofit organization, you have to be respectful yeah. that you're part of a community.
1: Yeah, I know. I, it's just, uh, there's been, uh, in the 10 years, I've been, or <laughs> 9 years I've been on the advisory board, there have been quite a few, uh, over the, and, and some of them actually, I mean, I, I shouldn't just be all haughty about it. I, there were discussions that, I railroaded as an FSF representative at times, right? So it's not just, it's not, that's. And I'm
0: aware of a lot of other discussions since then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: what an advisory board often does. Somebody comes in with an axe to grind, quite frankly. I mean, FSF's come in with axes to grind with GNOME and has grinded them.
0: But it's useful because then the issue is listened to and discussed. But because it's not a corporate, it does it's not an, a body with corporate authority, it can't derail the direction of the organization.
1: So, um, so Stormy is actually not currently on the board of directors, as I was mentioning. The members lack the board, and uh, she uh, let the board know uh, last week that she would uh, be leaving uh, the GNOME Foundation to take a job at the Mozilla Foundation.
0: But she did say she was going to run for the board of directors.
1: Yeah, and, it was, and I think that that. Certainly, I think I'm certainly, I'm a member of Gnome Foundation. I'm Mm -hmm. certainly going to vote for Stormy. I'm 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 endorsing Stormy as a candidate. I'll be the first (laughs) to endorse Stormy Peters as a candidate for the Gnome board later this year.
0: I'm merely a friend of Gnome. Yeah. But, um, I recommend that members, uh, vote for Stormy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you could actually probably apply and get membership oh, if you wanted to. That's because you've done, you've done, uh, legal work for GNOME. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, uh, so, for example, I've never coded on GNOME. I've never worked on documentation, but mm-hmm. I basically explained in my application the various things I've done to help FSF and GNOME work together better for many years and all the stuff. And, and that was enough to, Allow me to be a member.
0: I think that a lot of people who aren't developers don't know that a lot of organizations consider a substantial contribution to the, um, to the organization to be, um, things other than coding as well. Because basically there's so many organizations need so much help that if they limited members to simply people, if they, they defined a substantial contribution as only writing code, then you would exclude people who are doing valuable things for the organization. So, And it's funny because I forget that, too.
1: Historically speaking, Gnome Foundation has been an organization that's particularly open to that in that there have frequently been in the history of Gnome lots of contributors, uh, very high-profile Gnome members, even directors who were elected uh, who weren't either co- neither coder nor documenters, that they had just been involved in some other way. The Gnome marketing team, for example, is very active, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a place where a lot of volunteers come through.
0: And actually, when I went to Guadix that time, which was, I guess, two years ago now? A year ago? A year and a half ago? Well, it would have been a year ago? and a half
1: ago, because Guadix in July, right. you weren't at the one no, th- most not recently, the most recent and it was one. the year before okay. that in Grand Canaria, which was also Because the it was also, that's what I
0: was about to say, it was the desktop summit, and what was interesting is that that was kind of a recurring theme for both GNOME and for KDE, was this idea of valuing contributions by others other than, you know,
1: non-developers. 2011 will be a desktop summit a year again.
0: I thought that that was really productive. I mean, it was it was really interesting for me. I know people have different discussion have different views depending on what they're working it, it on. It was I
1: think it was productive for you because you were doing things with both communities and crossing a lot. What uh, I heard there were just from a so lot of people. So many useful teams.
0: discussions there on so many different things
1: but what i heard from a lot of other people who attended it was like there was just two conferences going on like when you go to a conference center and there's two That's separate conferences it's funny because i didn't
0: feel that way because i saw people in but maybe it was the tracks i chose mm-hmm. But, yeah, actually, I mean, from for my experience, it seemed much more integrated. But I know that a lot of people didn't feel that way. Yeah.
1: I, I, the way people described to me it reminded me of this one time I went to a to – a, to a, I
0: really uh, wanted you to say this one time at Bandcamp.
1: camp. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that for a variety of reasons. For a variety of reasons. Um, so, uh, so yeah, people who, are, who go and – uh, NetSearch, that quote, will realize the many variety of reasons that I would not have said that. Um, so, But what I was going to say, one time when I was uh, in a booth for FSF, I think it was the late 90s, it was a uh, CES Chicago. There used to be a computer electronics show in Chicago. And there was, at the same time, a waste management conference going on. And there was two exhibit halls right across from each other one was the waste conference waste management conference the other was uh the ces thing or actually it might have been like a, a ces linux or something this this people who did ces i think were dabbling in linux conferences in those days and so there was right across the way and of course it was just two conferences in the same space i actually took the i, I it turned out i was staying at the hotel where all the waste management people were so i took the uh, shuttle with them each morning to the venue because I just got on it. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm for a waste magic <laughs> conference. Sure, whatever. And then I got a shuttle, a free shuttle, instead of having to take a cab over to the over to the venue. So uh, anyway, uh the, the I, when people described to me what they were feeling at the desktop summit, it was like it was yeah. just a waste magic conference and a tech conference right together, just in the same venue, just to run into people. I do
0: sometimes join other conferences I'm not a part of just to see what's going on, but they're never really as fun as the free software conferences, like and I get bored. Yes, it, I I completely relate to that, and especially when I was traveling. You've a lot. you crashed.
1: Far. You went to things you were not supposed to go to. Oh yeah. You're admitting that well, here in the public airwaves. So public I think internet I waves. I
0: think I contributed to the to the event. Actually, this reminds me of our of our second topic of our second topic, which um, which we should get to right after this break.
1: Well, is not really a break? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But uh, is there anything else we're going to say about Stormy? That we? Oh, I mean, we should probably say that we wish wish her well. We oh, absolutely. Did we say was, that she's
0: going to Mozilla?
1: I did briefly okay. say that. Uh, we, we're trying uh, to
0: stay on track with the facts here. <laughs>
1: yeah, we, yeah, we did. We, I, I briefly mentioned that she was going to Mozilla. Um, she said that in her blog post, "It's going to be working on the open web." Uh, she told me she's going to be doing some developer relations uh, type activity. I don't know if her title is clear. Or has been made publicly clear yet? But obviously, uh, she. Once she's working there, we'll all know all and that. And it's
0: really interesting because there aren't that many organizations that have funded executive directors in the free software space. Mm-hmm. That's true. So that's part of why it seems momentous to us. I mean, also that you know she's been a guest on the show and we know her. Yeah, I mean... Was, very important. I
1: guess the final thing I want to say about it is that I, I think that, that she's done such a good job for Gnome. I, I think it's really it's really difficult uh, for Gnome. They've got to find somebody that good and, and they're... Uh, there aren't a lot of candidates as good as Stormy. <laughs> well, I hope they find somebody. I do, I do too, of course. Yeah. But But uh, but I think uh, I think Mozilla got really lucky to to get her from got away from Gnome.
0: Yep, I agree with that.
1: All right, so we'll uh, we'll come back in a moment with our discussion. Well, of... we're just
0: staying here, Bradley.
1: Okay, but we're going to return. <laughs> They're going to hear the musical interlude. You know, Linux Outlaws have various versions of their musical interludes that they use. We have that I'll one... I'll tell Mike. We have that one acoustic Maybe version. Maybe he'll
0: get competitive. They have a
1: bagpipes version. It's actually yeah. pretty good of their... Wow. Of their, I think Jezra did. At Jezra on Identica, he plays the bagpipes. Wow. And I think he did it, I, I believe. That's cool. And they have, uh, they have an 8-bit uh, gate video game version of it. Boy. Theme song. They got all this stuff going on. That's amazing. They're, they're, their fans do it, so... But wow. we just have the regular one, which you will hear in a moment. Okay. Karen, we have two issues. Actually, we have three issues. I think we're only going to get to two. That, right. Uh, that and the first two are they're not exactly free software stuff, but
0: oh, but I think they're really interesting. I, you know, I I think they're really just interesting copyright um, points. But but I was laughing before because the first one. Has an element to it that sounds really similar to the kind of thing I was saying before, which is yes, I crashed that party, but my, you know, the fact that I was at that party made the party so much better that in fact, the company that threw the party should have paid me to attend.
1: Oh yeah, that would be even though I crashed it. Thing.
0: So before we start doing the thing
1: where we talk about the thing without talking about the thing. Ah uh, yes. Uh, so this all started with somebody's post on LiveJournal about. A, not just a, actually, first I thought this was just a recipe and I was going to go off about how recipes probably shouldn't be copyrightable and all this stuff. It wasn't just a recipe. No,
0: it was an essay. It
1: was an essay about making a particular dish, I believe, and then a, a recipe along with that, mm-hmm. as I understand it. Is that, is that your understanding as well?
0: Oh, I didn't actually read the, the essay, but I, I are, thought it was are actually a was
1: you saying that it was TLDR? She has a TLDR summary at the top, you know.
0: No, I'm just, I'm just saying that that's not the point.
1: I know it's not the point. I'm
0: the just... point is that this, there's a woman who. Wait, actually, is it a woman? I don't I, know. I assumed it was a woman. I assumed that it was a woman. I may be assuming it was a woman because I've seen the person's name somewhere.
1: Well, I don't know if the gender is specified.
0: Uh, there's more discussion than on the Live Journal post.
1: Ah, uh, I see. Um, oh, yes, Monica. Yeah, the, he dresses her by name. That's why I thought it was a woman.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I so mean, we must have both just internalized it from reading the description carefully. Well, yeah, because the the, <laughs> the
1: quote, which which is, it's really the central part, is this. Well, let's
0: quote. actually describe what it is before oh, yeah. we get to the quote.
1: We're doing the thing is, again. We're
0: doing the thing again. So there was a woman who wrote an article and published it on her own website. Mm-hmm. It was an, an article um, that was food related, and um, and she got an email from someone congratulating her and asking her about how she got it published. Right. And she to her knowledge, she was she was only self-published and she discovered on her blog. On her blog. Um but she discovered that um that the what's it called Cook Source Magazine?
1: Co- uh, well, she found it through their Facebook page. It's called Cook's a plural source. Yeah. And they have a Facebook page and when she found the Facebook page, she realized that they had actually published her article without,
0: without asking permission. her, just republished it. And they say that they have and In your legal me- opinion,
1: would that be copyright infringement if they did that without a license?
0: Well she didn't license I mean if she was all rights reserved, then absolutely. But she she says that um, that the that, that CookSource has they, they they say that they have uh, seventeen thousand to twenty eight thousand readers.
1: Yeah, and I've never heard of it. Not that I follow cooking magazines, but
0: No, and I kinda do, and I have not heard of it, but that doesn't mean that a lot of people don't read it.
1: Seventeen to eighteen thousand isn't actually that many. That's true. I mean, it's it's that's it's sometimes
0: the number of people that download our or the number of downloads of our yeah. I mean, that's that's sort
1: of a fanzine level. That's true. Uh, level subscription.
0: But what's great he, is like, that she contacted have them.
1: Her fanzine's dead, right? I guess they are. They right? have blogs and yeah, because they're on Tumblr, Tumblr accounts, accounts now. and. If if any listeners don't know what a fanzine is, you are too young.
0: I yeah. say you're just right.
1: Okay. <laughs> anyway, so it's. But what's
0: amazing is the response that she got from the editor.
1: Yeah, that's the really. It's actually more than amazing. It's a little bit unbelievable. And, and the reason it's the reason it struck out to me as soon as my, my my wife actually found this and was reading me this, and the thing that jumped out of me and made me email Karen right away and say we say we ought to cover this on the show. Of course, Karen had already discovered it independently um, and was like, "Yes, absolutely. it's been a
0: hot discussion on the Free Culture List."
1: Right. Um, but the thing that jumped out of me was in in this. Editor's letter, he writes, but honestly, Monica, the web is considered, is considered, quote, public domain, unquote. And we should be happy, you should be happy, we didn't just, quote, lift, unquote, your whole article and put someone else's name <laughs> on it. Now... To, to imagine that i i was I was taken aback because it made me think about how we've had a lot of discussions for many years in the free software world about issues of copyright, and most free software developers would not make this mistake. I think they are they they've been educated enough by our
0: yeah, but there are actually two issues at work here. one is a copyright issue and the second is plagiarism, correct. and a lot of people get those two concepts confused
1: right well, but my my interest in it was the fact that he believes that. Things on the web are not copyrighted because if he's saying he believes they're public domain, he's saying he believes they are not copyrighted, which is completely unbelievable. That somebody—it's not unbelievable because it happened, but it's completely surprising that it's, somebody in publishing wouldn't even know that.
0: It's amazing, really, yeah. and you know, and it's and it's wrong in part because she didn't freely license it. Um, but even now, if she had it wouldn't I, be public domain. I criticize it would not be public domain, but some people misuse the term public domain or use it colloquially to mean you can copy it and do, you know, you can you can use it
1: as if, you know, if it's freely distributed. But he's talking about not attributing it and there's no way he could no. fail to attribute it unless it was public no. domain. Right? Any copyright license that I've ever heard of would at least requires attribution.
0: Well, can you actually Actually, do you know whether CC0
1: well, CC- but CC0 is shooting it's, for public domain is, in fact it tries it's also, to be public but it inspired. is also a license correct but
0: yeah so well you know i think there might be there might be copyright licenses that agree but they're, they're not in the
1: free world right yeah but basically. The, so it's possible that she could have given a license the but, but she didn't
0: but she didn't now i don't think that she's blameless here well actually i didn't look at her her site to see what she published or you know how she published it but a lot of people post well, articles and other material, photos, under ambiguous licensing. And and I that drives me nuts. I really can't stand that people do that because basically they put something online and they're silent as to the licensing. And then, you know, people who go and look at it or, or go to, you know, listen to it or look at it don't know what they can and can't do with it. Obviously, if somebody posts something online, they want people to see it. They want people to read it. Mm-hmm. They want people to look at it on different computers. But... You know that's that's potentially inconsistent with all rights reserved, if that's the notice coming um, along with it. Well, and whether it is or isn't, if they don't say that, you know, then it's really ambiguous because we have no idea what they're what they're trying to do. Now the default is all rights reserved, so true um, enough. Although, although so that's what is, you should always assume. Yeah. I mean, it, if it, you don't see anything to the contrary. Rather
1: amusingly, it uh, the, the the actual original. I'm, I'm looking at the original page where she printed it first, and uh, amusingly, it has somebody else's copyright notice at the bottom because it has the copyright notice uh, of the whole site, which uh, is in fact a, a valid copyright notice because he has a copyright on the sort of juxtaposition of his site graphics and stuff. With her I bet article. she
0: was silent. I mean, it, it just says
1: it just has a byline, and it for looks her. like
0: you're right. There's a recipe in there too.
1: Yeah, I'm it's, gonna try it. It's just a byline. Uh, oh, it has but fig in it. But clearly, it's all rights reserved by default here because there's no, uh, there's right no, when no you're about silent
0: about copyright, or if you if you don't see a copyright notice, you must assume that it's all rights reserved. Right.
1: So, so she she didn't grant a license. Now, it's an interesting question of whether I had a license to just load it and and view it. It's probably I can make a good fair use argument, couldn't I? That right. what I just did. All I did was click on a link and read it. I, I would say so. I probably have fair use there.
0: But um, but you know, actually, I meant to say that all rights reserved doesn't really have that much legal meaning now. It used to be that you had to say all rights reserved. Now, if you just say copyright, it's the same. It's as the all equivalent rights. of all rights reserved, but, but get, because because. Creative Commons has gone out with saying some rights reserved, and yeah. that's very cute. Now we sort of distinguish between by saying all rights and okay. some rights.
1: But as far as loading, and there's this issue about loading into RAM, and there's been a court case about loading into RAM that's that's generally yeah. not copyright so, infringement so, to load into RAM and so forth. So, so so I probably didn't infringe copyright just reading it, but I also didn't paste it into my magazine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you didn't, you know, send it to me, and you didn't, right. you
1: know. Although I, it, you still deserve me. <sighs> so, but that was probably fair use, too.
0: But, yeah, it's it's – It's tough. And so I always talk to, you know, especially um, to artists and photographers and musicians and say, you know, you have to be really careful when you publish your stuff online. Think about what you're trying to accomplish and consider choosing a license that actually does what you're what you're you know when you publish something online you're doing it because you want people to listen to the music you want people to see your photographs mm-hmm. so license it accordingly so that there's no confusion and people know they can pass it on but i think a lot of artists because they're uncomfortable or haven't really fully thought through how comfortable mm-hmm. they are with free licensing they do this like split the baby thing where they just put stuff online without you mean
1: like cc by nd that sort of split the baby. well uh, sorry, I'm totally trolling you.
0: <laughs> well, but actually, more commonly, it's NC um, in these instances. Yeah, yeah correct. But um, i was just trying to troll. Sorry. <laughs> um, but like, but yeah, no. I mean, it's it's just they they don't want to think about it. They don't want to grant. They're not sure what they want to grant permission for and what they don't. So they sort of put it out there, but they're silent on licensing. And they figure, well, then I have the right to think about it later. Yeah. And they do, but it creates all this ambiguity. And you know, and it's definitely not the proper course of action. So yeah, although
1: although if she had licensed it, as far as I could tell, obviously we don't have all the exact details of how it was published in the magazine. But as far as I can tell, if she had licensed it CC BY-SA, he was probably relatively if, uh, CC BY. He probably was in compliance. If she had done CC BY-SA, he was probably pretty damn close to compliance because he did give her a byline, and
0: right. If she so she funny. if she distributed under CC BY, right. Yeah. He was totally in compliance yeah. there.
1: If he had been CC by SA, it would have been pretty close Well, provided he that to, he kept the a license. license. But yeah, He obviously didn't. Right. He did. But, but,
0: but, um, but what it gets even better because when the editor responded to her, he went on not only to say that it was considered public domain, but he goes on to criticize her writing and says that her essay was very poorly written. And therefore, he and his colleagues spent loads of time rewriting it. And she should be grateful.
1: Well, the best part about that is he's copying. To, he's copying to further copyright infringement because not only did he do copying without permission, he did modification without permission.
0: Now, I mean, in the overall scope of things, I think this is great, right? Like you should be able to take an article and improve it, and right, and if been it didn't buy or buy say, you oh, could have absolutely. done it. Absolutely.
1: Actually, he was? would have been. Actually, I just realized he would have been out of compliance on buy if he failed to say that it had been modified from her original version.
0: So she actually, um, when she complained, she asked for monetary compensation, but she actually asked for a donation to, I forget who, but to, to some, to, to,
1: to a university that,
0: that, that, that she cared about. And so she wasn't actually asking for personal monetary compensation, but this editor in responding says, you know, we, we, we worked on your article and it is better now than it was originally. Now it will work well for your portfolio for that reason. I have a bit of a difficult time with your requests for monetary gain, albeit for such a fine and very wealthy institution. We put some time into rewrites. You should compensate me. I never charge young writers for advice or rewriting poorly written pieces and have many who write for me, in all caps, always for free. Charming. Amazing.
1: Well, it's it's so it's So really I
0: violated your copyright... But you should pay me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, so so I I think I think the reason this struck me so much is I'm I'm often I'm quite frankly often downtrodden at the level to which I feel like licensing understanding is not the level I would like to see it in the free software world. Mm -hmm. But when I see something like this and realize that outside of our microcosm, there's a lot of people who have absolutely no understanding of of copyright and are actually working in fields that intersect copyright a field like publishing where copyright's a constantly intersecting thing in the same way that free software is always intersecting with copyright because all software is copyrighted and therefore it intersects all the time publishing is the same way everything you write is copyrighted therefore it intersects and some people in the publishing industry granted he publishes the equivalent of a fanzine but all the same
0: this is where the free licensing world um, stands shoulder to shoulder with publishing houses and the Disney's of the world (laughs) Uh, I wonder what the RIA would say about this. Yeah. I don't wonder what the RIA would well, say about this. They the thing is they wouldn't care. I, I mean,
1: the, the problem. Oh, they
0: absolutely would.
1: Well, they would and they wouldn't, right? Because they don't care about people that aren't their members.
0: No, but what I'm saying is that, is that uh, conceptually they care about this point because the idea that if you publish something on the internet that it is in the public domain right. goes very strongly against the grain of the RIA <laughs> who's subpoenaing you know, yeah. kids for downloading music. Correct. Mm-hmm. Or for sharing music. That's true. So. And all the music
1: sucks today, anyway. So why are they even bothering? So the show? not true. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> is it time for me troll, to pl- for troll? Me- is it time for me to plug my DJ night? <laughs> uh, if you want, I might. I was maybe I might. just well, trolling again. I haven't gotten my um, my free software DJ system up yet. Um, I'm waiting for my sound card to come, but um, but I'm getting close. Mix is great. Anyway. Um, so if we- you're in, if you're, oh, I'm going to do it. If you're if you're in New York and want to come out. Um, I DJ the right now we're doing it the second Wednesday of the month in Brooklyn at a bar called Minor Arcana.
1: Yeah, but the, we don't have that many local listeners, so I, I know. I think it's going to be tough to get people to come. It's not
0: like a dance party or anything. It's just hanging out at a bar and listening to what I think is good music.
1: <laughs> so um the next thing we should uh we should move on to our next. I think we've
0: we yeah, completed this But topic. I just it was so amusing to read this. And, you know, I mean, no matter where you stand on the copyright spectrum, you want, I mean, if, you, if you're if you a copyleft person, you want to be sure that copyrights are enforced. Um, you know, I mean, no matter where you are on the spectrum, this is, this is you know, appalling. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a copyright abolitionist.
1: Yeah, any way you look at it, it's it's not good. So uh, so this other story was something, uh, strangely, this is the first time I've ever done this on this show. I, I read on Slashdot. I don't usually like saying
0: <laughs> I read it on
1: Slashdot, therefore it's interesting. But uh, there was an article on Tech Dirt about this uh, interesting Texas Supreme Court case. And it's
0: actually quite old. Um, yeah, I
1: don't know why they suddenly picked it up. I we, we couldn't I think it out. that the reason
0: why they – I actually have a theory, a theory about it? that, but I why know. don't we say what it is again before we get too off topic. Well, uh,
1: the first thing I, I want to say is that of all the courts I've encountered in all my travels – Texas's state supreme court was the most human.
0: <laughs> do you know what I have to say to that?
1: What do you have to say?
0: Coon. <laughs> well, it, it, <laughs> I, it, it's
1: it's rather interesting that that this has happened. So what what's happened is the state supreme court has referenced a Pop culture thing, not only a pop culture thing, but a Star Trek okay, thing. Okay,
0: to back up a little bit, so there was a basically this is a a, a decision that um, that came down in two thousand eight, I
1: think. Yeah, it February, the, well, it sounds like right it was now. argued two thousand eight. Argued when it was. Oh, maybe it decided. was published
0: recently then.
1: Okay, so it says oh, the only date here is argued February seventh, two thousand eight. Oh, hmm. But they it wouldn't have taken no, two years to decide. Oh wait,
0: actually, opinion delivered October twenty second, twenty ten. So it did oh, just wow, come out. Oh wow, it took
1: two years. Yeah, that's so very that's why, interesting. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway, um, so.
0: And it's a. It was a. a, a they do case think slow about, in Texas. You see. <laughs> it was well. Actually, litigation is just really slow. That's true. But the um, the case was about an as, about holding an asbestos, asbestos or a, rather holding a company liable for the actions of its predecessor. Or the question was whether or not the 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 successor would be responsible for the actions of the company that it acquired.
1: I have a vague interest in this topic, you know.
0: A vague interest in this
1: topic. Well, because I, I have, I'm, I'm currently dealing with a litigation matter wherein I'm concerned about what a successor is doing. <laughs> and
0: anyway. I don't talk about um, I know. ongoing litigation, especially I know not in all caps. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, but it's
1: um, uh, I'm not in Texas anyway, so I don't really care what happens in Texas. We're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, anyway, so, but actually um before so you- that
0: the, so actually the the um the de- the part of the decision that um that refers to Star Trek um is is actually a concurrence and not the majority opinion. And we talked a little bit about what that means in the context mm-hmm. of the Bilski opinion because it was all over the place with um, with concurrences and dissents. But um but this We'll link to it in the notes, but this concurrence is a fabulous read. It's really interesting, like it's just really well written and also humorous, and it's all over the place in its references, which is why it's particularly funny. It goes to Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so one other before we get to the to the funny part, uh, um, one other interesting thing that was happening when we were researching the show is that. Uh, Karen actually had to do a little bit of work to find what the original case was. And it reminded me of this, uh, novel I read in the 90s, uh, called Brainstorm by a guy named Richard Dooling. It wasn't a bad, it wasn't a great novel, but it wasn't bad either. Um, and it was about legal issues and various other things, mostly criminal stuff. Uh, but he was talking about going in to be before an appeals court. And was talking about how the the main character, which is a first-person novel, was saying how the appeals court doesn't care anything about the actual facts of the case they they're they're, o- they're only interested in whether the lower court erred in mm-hmm. making some decision of law and that's a kind of an interesting thing that that, that uh, and that's and that's why when when we first look at this case we didn't know what it was about because they're talking about a legal issue which is not actually necessarily well, related to the The facts.
0: reason why we didn't know what it was about was also because we were reading the concurrence and ah, a concurrence always comes along with a majority opinion right. so um, you know, that, that led to it too. The reason why I originally thought that maybe we were hearing about it now was because of what happened, um, this week with the elections and the judges in Iowa who much, there's been much discussion about, you know, whether or not there is such a thing as activist judges and, mm-hmm. um, and the ability for, um, for, for the public to choose judges by elections. And, um, and this concurrence actually says some really interesting things about it, um, including, um, he says, I never second guess the legislators, the legislature's motives and goodwill and have never needed to semicolon. We are blessed with one hundred and eighty one lawmakers who serve Texas with full hearts.
1: That's a very <laughs> um, Texas. Way of saying
0: and then in the footnote to that, he says um, uh, there is a, a, a profound difference between an activist judge and an engaged judge. I am honored to serve with none of the former and eight of the latter. Nothing in this concurrence should be distorted into criticism of either lawmakers who passed chapter 149 or the judges who passed upon it. So that makes it relevant, really relevant right now. But as it turns out, um, it was published fairly recently
1: also. But the reason it got slashed at it is because on page seven of the concurrence, there's a rather interesting quote wherein it says, appropriately weighty principles guide our course. First, we recognize that police power draws from the credo that, quote, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, unquote. Second, while this maxim rings utilitarian and Dickensian, parenthesis, not to mention Vulcan, close (laughs) parenthesis. And I'll stop there because at the word Vulcan, there's a footnote. And if you chase the footnote, it comes down and says, See Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Paramount Pictures, 1982. The film references several works of classic literature, none more prominently than A Tale of Two Cities. Spock gives Admiral Kirk an antique copy as a birthday present, and the film itself is bookended with the book's opening and closing passages. Most memorable, of course, is Spock's famous line at his moment of sacrifice, Don't grieve, Admiral. It is logical. The needs of the many outweigh. To which Kirk replies... The needs of the few.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, actually, the next line, which they did not quote, is Spock says, All the one. And then he dies. Oh, no, actually, then he says, You have and always will be my friend.
0: Is that your favorite Star Trek line of all time? Because I don't you know. use it all the time. I don't know. We've it's, used it on the Outcast before. It's
1: probably the best, uh, it's the best old series stuff, in my view. Rothcon is probably one of the better old series movies. Although well, everybody likes Voyage Home. Better. Coon. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I was wondering: is it does this mean that that this court might continue to quote Star Trek old series more often?
0: Um, you know, it's really interesting reading uh, judicial opinions because they often do get um, a little silly, and like to sometimes cite various things in pop culture
1: well yeah but i'm talking about like during court proceedings like can you imagine a clerk <laughs> saying your honor there's a exhibit approaching from the starboard side <laughs> for example hey, you can uh, actually call the guy captain I- clerk even
0: oh <laughs> wow well actually
1: it would be sulu in that case probably.
0: are you gonna make a joke about the um the court reporter giving it all she's got
1: well, it's it's like, it, I mean, really, you, you think about how that would play out. It's like, I'm mean, giving her all she's got, Captain. We cannot change the laws of Texas. Oh, nice. For example. <laughs> so I think,
0: I, I, I think we should end this oddcast right there. We can improve on it. We're done.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. We well, did have we, one
0: more issue. We'll talk about it next time.
1: Yeah. Well, so, so just to give people a preview for next time, and we're running long anyway, and yeah. we don't want to turn to, like, Linux Outlaws with, like, two-hour shows. I mean, that's, <laughs> so...
0: Sorry if I
1: haven't Well, yeah, but the, people like their two-hour shows, but yeah. we're not a two-hour show kind nope. of show. So we, we know this thing is going on with this discussion about VLC and being, in, being an iPhone app and being a GPL violation and all these questions. And the VLC mailing list is weighed in. The FSF's weighed in. And we've been following it very closely. Uh, but I think we'll just see we'll, we'll see if anything week. new happens. And then we'll talk yeah. about it in detail next week. I'm sure it'll still be interesting to people. Not yeah. next week, but next show.
0: Yeah. So
1: we'll talk then. Okay.
0: Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of halfbakemedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us.
1: Well, that part sounds a little bit like it for the rest of (laughs) it.